Roy Moore on uh, Friday, excuse me, Thursday, um, the, gosh, I don't even have my calendar in front of me right now. A week week from today? Yeah, uh, uh, September 6, 2018. I just need to log in, and I am recording. That is all right with you? Okay. Okay, terrific. And sorry about the technical glitches. Um, It just happens that way sometimes. Anyway, I'm delighted to be speaking with you, especially someone who has such history with Rocky Flats. And let's just get into it. We've got up to about half an hour for a finished interview, which means we've got up to about mm, 40 minutes in order to speak, uh, in order to get that, okay? And also, is it Leroy or Leroy? Uh, I prefer the latter. Leroy. Okay, yeah. you've got it then. That's why I always ask. Thank so, you. Okay. The king. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's right. That's right. That is. I wasn't thinking of it that way. Okay. So, Leroy Moore, it's so that's... great to have. It's so great to have you with us here on Nuclear Hot Seat. Well, I'm glad to hear your voice, and I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Well, we will take care of that. You have been active on Rocky Flats issues since 1979 and and worked successfully with others to help bring an end to weapons production there. Then you worked for the best possible cleanup of the plant's highly contaminated site. From your perspective, how effective has the government's highly self-touted cleanup been? How, How effective is what? Has the cleanup by the government been? Oh, I, I think it's very inadequate. Um, they um, they set standards that allowed them to leave a lot of stuff in the in the soil, and um, they had they they had it was very controversial uh, getting them to establish standards for cleanup. They originally said they would clean it to 651 picocuries per gram. I don't know if you are familiar with that way of talking about things, but that's many times higher than any cleanup anywhere, anywhere. And um, the public complained about it, and we just happened to be lucky that a a DOE official was present in a public meeting, and I I forced the uh, government to tell us about this standards they had just agreed to, the DOE, the EPA, and the State Health Department. <clears throat> when when they said 651 picocuria per gram, the public exploded, and the, this DOE official happened to be there. So he, he forced them to uh, start all over. And eventually, it took a long time, but eventually um, they established cleanup at three levels. The top three feet of soil would be cleaned to 50 picocuries per gram, and between uh, three feet and six feet depth, would it, it would be cleaned to uh, a thousand uh, picocuries per gram, and below six feet, they could leave any everything. And uh, a lot of the buildings were built large, big portions of them were underground. So they they just collapsed these buildings uh, into the environment and then covered them with dirt, and uh, they were well below six feet, so they didn't do any cleanup in those areas. And there were also processed wastelands that 
were loaded with plutonium in that deeper area. So there's a lot of stuff in the uh, industrial area. And what is now the Rocky Flats Wildlife Refuge was created after the cleanup was finished, and it totally it it encircles the old industrial area. So there's a lot of, of contamination in the old industrial area that is not on the refuge. This doesn't mean that the refuge isn't also contaminated. It, it is, but it, at lower levels and. Um, they did. They didn't do any any of the cleanup in the uh, in the refuge area, so it, the uh, the cleanup was very inadequate. What are the chances or the likelihood that contamination that was simply buried on the industrial site has been able to migrate into the wildlife refuge? Uh, well, some some has. And there was actually a study done uh, years ago in which the the uh, the man that did the study said that even if they cleaned the site to uh, as low as 10 picocuries per gram, which was recommended by the Rocky Mountain Peace and Justice Center, even if they cleaned it to that very small level, that in time material leaving the site would exceed the state's standard for radiation in surface water. And um, that, that, that there have been several occasions when that has, uh, that has happened. Uh, but he said it will happen, uh, and we can't do anything about it because I, I cannot determine the source of the plutonium. <laughs> so uh, that that uh, that's a long-term uh, look, and and uh, goodness, Rocky, the plutonium in Rocky Flats will be in the soil long after the the Fish and Wildlife Service has disappeared, and long after the U.S. government has disappeared, unless it lasts for you know it uh, many many times longer than any government has. Uh, yeah. The plutonium has a half life of twenty four thousand one hundred ten years, and that means in half, you know, half a million years, it'll still there'll still be radiation there. Give us, give us a picture of the site as it stands today. What part is the Superfund site of the former weapons manufacturing plant? Well, what uh, part? Well, no, no. Let me let me just finish this. Okay. What part? What part is the proposed wildlife refuge, and what, if anything, is used to separate the two from each other? Well, there's a, a what they have now is a fence about four feet high that encircles the uh, the, the the part of the site that still belongs to the DOE Department of Energy, and that's the old industrial area, and the refuge. That, and that consists of about two acres of uh, land, and the refuge area is about nine acres of land, and uh, it totally surrounds the old uh, the old industrial site. When you say it's a four foot high fence, are we talking about some massive structure here? Are we talking chain link? Are we talking picket? I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't understand okay. that. Okay. 
when we say that there's a fence around the industrial yeah. area, is this some kind of solid, like, concrete block fence? Is it a chain-link fence? How no, it's, much... no it's, a, it's a typical, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, fence that has uh, little, little uh, sharp devices every few you know, every foot or so, and uh, like uh, it's a, it's a, it's not a complicated fence at all, and it would be very easy for, uh, certainly easy for animals to go across it, and it wouldn't be difficult for humans either, or go under it. Across the street from this proposed wildlife refuge, again, filling in the picture for Nuclear Hot Seat listeners, there's a high-priced subdivision of new homes. What it just been built? What if any protection is there in place between what might be coming off the wildlife refuge and this housing complex? Uh, there's nothing really. Uh, the the uh, the people that built those those new houses it's on the southern edge of the all across the southern edge of the Rocky Flat site. They, they built several hundred houses there, and they also are, are building this public school, and there will be a shopping center, and I think even a hospital. And all of that is very close, just over the fence from Rocky Flats, uh, and um, and there's only a fence separating them from, from the Rocky Flats site. And, and when the people that were responsible for building the the uh, those homes uh, checked the area. They they claimed that there's no radiation, but they they the the kind of of uh, of, of device they used to check for radiation would detect uranium, but not plutonium. Plutonium uh, very f- there's there's very few. Uh, radioactive monitors that it can actually protect plutonium because it gives off a very weak um, signal and a weak radiation. And the problem with plutonium is it, 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 cannot, it cannot penetrate skin, you know, so we can't get exposed to it like we could to uranium. The uranium just goes right through the human body but the the radiation it releases, but the alpha particles, as it's called, that plutonium releases, cannot penetrate skin, and the worst way to be exposed to it is is to inhale uh, particles that are in the air, or or to get it in, into a wound if you've scratched your knee or something like that. So um, once once it's inside the body, the plutonium particle lodges somewhere. And it will stay there for the rest of your life, continually irradiating surrounding cells. So it's it's very very dangerous uh, to uh, get this inside the body, and it's and, it, and there's really no way to stop it from happening if the material is blowing in the air, and we uh, the winds at Rocky Flats typically. Uh, several times a year, they will exceed 100 miles an hour. So we're, we're uh, so, so the soil that may have this plutonium in it is being picked up and carried about, and anybody that's in the area is likely to breathe it in. 
and it'd probably take 30 years before a cancer or some other ailment happens. But um, and that's that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the things that the the government may think they're not doing any harm, but they are. They are. Well, it it's delayed response, and right. just because there's a there's a wide span of time between cause and effect doesn't mean that they're not directly connected, but they can have denial about it simply because there is such a long period of time in between. And I think that pro-nuclear forces or those people who wish to ignore the nuclear dangers count on that time lag as getting them off the hook for any responsibility. I want to move this on. Um, I understand that both the EPA and the state health department say that the wildlife refuge is safe. What, right. what do they base this on, and who can officially disagree with this? Well, I think they base it. Uh, I can only believe that they think the standards that they set for the cleanup are adequate and really protect people. But actually, the standards allow some exposure, and uh, they, you know they don't—they're not really removing the plutonium from the environment. And I'm talking only about plutonium, of course. Without question, it's the most dangerous material at Rocky Flats, and it's usually regarded as the most dangerous radioactive material anywhere on the planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's. Um, so uh, this stuff is in the environment, and uh, as long as it's in the environment, if the burrowing animals are likely to bring it to the surface, and and the wind will pick them up, and it'll be blowing around, and people that are working there or happen to be walking through the refuge are likely to uh, inhale it, and and then they've got it in their body, and it eventually it wrecks their health. And this is especially bad for children. Uh, you know, they've got a much longer lifetime ahead of them. Hopefully. So if, they, if I if I happen to breathe uh, to, to inhale plutonium at this point in my life, uh, it, it, I, I'm too old. You know, I would die before it created cancer. <laughs> but that's <laughs> not true of a, chi- of a child that lives an ordinary life. I also understand that seven different schools in the greater Denver metro area have banned any kind that's, of school outings to the Rocky Flats Refuge. That's, that's true, yeah. There's also seems to be, there also seems to be this push to get people there. For example, the Rocky Mountain Greenery will be a trail from northeast of Denver all the way to Rocky Mountain National Park, about 50 miles, like a mini Pacific Crest Trail or Appalachia Trail. It's expected to attract large crowds of hikers, bikers, and horseback riders, and they're going to have an overpass and an underpass to get onto well-marked trails through the refuge. What's wrong with this picture? Yeah, well, um, one of the things that's wrong with it is that when the the refuge was created, they had to do an environmental impact statement, and the public was strongly opposed to opening the refuge. They decided they would do it anyway. Uh, 82% of the people that commented on the impact statement said, don't open the refuge, and only 11% were in favor of opening it. But 
the um the, the this so this uh they they made a map showing where the trails would be and where the visitor center would be and since then partly because of the uh of of this uh, uh, uh of, of this long trail that's being built that that wasn't even being talked about when they did the EIS so they they've got a new set of trails it would take people on the site, and they and they relocated the visitor center and made it much larger than it was before. So they and and this is we have brought a lawsuit. We're trying to the next phase of it is to to uh, get to force the uh, get the court to require uh, Fish and Wildlife to do a new environmental impact statement. Which would include, of course, uh, sampling to find out how how safe or unsafe the uh, site may be. What about the wildlife at the refuge? Doesn't having this space give them a safe place in which to propagate and go forth and multiply? Well, there there is a there is an, in fact an abundance of wildlife uh, of all kinds, uh, but they. Uh, the the ones that are most likely to be killed accidentally happen to be deer that are trying to cross a road that goes by beside the site, and they often find when they when it, when a deer has been hit by a car and and is killed, they will they often examine the body and they find that these deer have plutonium in their bodies, so they didn't die from the plutonium in the body. But they did uh, have it there, and if they, the uh, people that study the genetic effects of radiation say that the genetic effects of radiation on uh, on on deer or elk or any other animals, the foxes, you know, all the animals that happen to exist at Rocky Flats, that they may. Uh, they may pass on harm to future generations that could even eliminate that uh, species of of uh, creatures in this area. And the same thing could happen with uh, humans. The um, the man that actually discovered the harm, the genetic harm of uh, of radiation on uh, on creatures. He he first his name is Mueller, and he first uh, found. Uh, he got, he got the uh, Nobel Prize for his, in in uh, medicine for finding out that uh, a certain kind of fly exposed. fruit flies. Yeah. It was on, his work was on fruit flies. Yeah, yeah, you know about this study. Yeah, anyway, he uh, he he later before he died, he wrote a paper saying that human beings could uh, could be eliminated because if they take plutonium into their body, uh, eventually it will have a genetic effect. It will eliminate a whole strand of, uh, of, of creatures, whether it's, whether it's deer or elk or humans or whatever it is, you know, fruit flies, so on. So um, uh, it's not the, the, uh, uh, the, there's a scientist in California who, uh, 
came to Rocky Flats in 1996, and um, I'm trying to remember his name. His uh, um, Sean Sean Smallwood. He came to Rocky Flats in 1996, and he studied the burrowing animals on the site. And he and and then he began to look into the question of of uh, had there been any genetic studies of wildlife at Rocky Flats, and he said there have been no studies, uh, no genetic studies of wildlife at Rocky Flats, or at any other Department of Energy nuclear weapons plant in the country. So uh, he underscores that as a real need if we want to if we want to take care of wildlife. Let's shift this a little bit. Here what? for nuclear, and we're, I'm going to shift this, the conversation okay. a little bit. Okay. okay. For nuclear hot seat, we have previously talked with Alicia Casey about Rocky Flats for our episode number 369 on July 17th. At that time, we discussed what were then upcoming court hearings and community actions being planned. Where are we? with the resistance to the opening and the challenge to the opening of this proposed wildlife refuge? Well, the, uh, the judge, uh, we, we, uh, we took the case to court in the, in the federal court about three weeks ago. The judge ruled against us and uh, gave Fish and Wildlife uh, permission to go ahead and proceed with their plans to open the refuge. And originally, they said they would open it on uh, uh, the 15th of September, which is, uh, you know, it's nine days away. Uh, and lately, they seem to be backing down from that and say that uh, they'll open it later this year. And But anyway, um, as for the lawsuit, the our, our lawsuit has got one more crucial step. And that is to require the uh, Fish and Wildlife to do a new environmental impact statement, and that's got that has yet to be ruled on by the judge. And I think the chance of getting a positive ruling, ruling from our side and requiring them to do that is very strong. And if that would take you place, could, that would de- that would de- that would delay the opening of the refuge, wouldn't it? Well, it would. It would uh, if if he actually rules in our favor. Uh, that's right. If they've opened it, they have to they have to close it, and do the environmental impact statement. And that usually takes, you know, a year or sometimes even longer to do it. Let me ask you a personal question. You live in Boulder, Colorado, which, according to my MapQuest, is 18 miles from the entrance to the refuge if you found it's, out it's actually closer than that it's about 10 miles from where i live anyway go ahead okay um let me do that all over again you live in boulder only about 10 miles away from the entrance to the refuge if you found out that your grandchildren were planning to hike or bike through rocky flats what would your response be well, I would do my best not to allow them to do that. And, uh, in fact, I do have grandchildren. I even have great-grandchildren now. And uh, uh, none of them 
they they they've learned about Rocky Flats from me, and none of them have any plans to go uh, hiking on the wildlife refuge. Uh, I don't think it'd be a good idea. What next steps are possible beyond the lawsuit for another environmental impact study? Well, um, that uh, what we really must do is convince the local population that it is not wise to go to the refuge. I, even if we get the environmental impact statement and they do it, they produce it, uh, there was still the environment will still be contaminated, and and if they open the refuge, people can be exposed. So we must uh, either convince we must convince the public. I think if the public is convinced that they the refuge should stay closed, and if members of Congress are convinced that the refuge must stay closed then I think that we have a good chance that we can require fish and wildlife to keep it closed. And that's, uh, you know, that um, I'm not sure we can do it by law. We have to do it by persuasion and providing of information. And we, we uh, one of the people that I work with is trying hard to get uh, members of Congress to agree to require the uh, or to get the um, National Academy of Sciences to do the sampling to find out the condition of the site so that it so that the sampling is not done by the Department of Energy or its contractor but is done by a totally independent group that knows what they're doing what can the listeners of nuclear hot seat do to possibly support you in these efforts <laughs> well, uh, it would be helpful to, uh, to to put pressure on your own uh, people, wherever people are that are listening to you. You don't have to be in Colorado to get your member of Congress to say, uh, to, to urge the Colorado delegation to ask the, uh, uh, the Fish and Wildlife to keep the site closed and to write write letters to Fish and Wildlife itself, you know, or work with the Colorado delegation that opposes Rocky Flats and and uh, get get the help of other other members of Congress and and the Senate to uh, to to join in this activity. Is there anything else you can think of that you'd like to add at this time? Well, <laughs> Uh, I will invite people to come to Colorado and enjoy our incredible beauty. Beauty, And there are a lot of places you could go in Colorado where you won't be exposed to plutonium like you would be at Rocky Flats. It's a beautiful place. That's it, it. It is indeed. I've been there. I've been to Boulder a couple of times, and uh, it's gorgeous around there. Let me just close this out with, Leroy, you have been doing this work for... I just did the math, for almost 40 years. That's right. And, and thank you for all that you have done, and thanks for all that you are continuing to do, and for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Okay. Thank you. 
Thank you. Now, you sent me a list of um, uh, different people and organizations and contacts. Wh who do you identify with? Is there a particular group that you want to be identified with most um, in terms of your own background? Because, I mean, you, you were like an encyclopedia of every group, it seems, that's out there. Well, that, if you're looking for people to interview, uh, I think you should interview John Lipsky, who led the FBI raid. You know, he knows things that nobody else knows, and he's not allowed to talk about. Mm. Uh, but but he's uh, he's a wonderful man, and he's he he works with us. He's at the Rocky Mountain Peace and Justice Center, and aside from him. I would say, um, well, goodness, there, there's any there's any number of people, but I would I would get in touch with the people at the. Uh, now, this is two two women that are part of the Rocky Rocky Flats Downwinders, mm -hmm. and this this is a new organization, relatively new organization, uh, that. Um, Shortly came into existence not long ago, and it, and they're doing something that was recommended many times by others, but the state health department has never done a study of the harm to people that live downwind of Rocky Flats from from Rocky Flats itself, and finally. The the downwinders are beginning to collect the stories of people um, uh, from a medical standpoint, and and uh, they they would be very valuable, I think, to hear to hear from. Mm -hmm. And um, if you want to talk about uh, the residential uh, that that uh, housing development adjacent to Rocky Flats there I listed a couple of women that that are in that group and they would be they would be valuable to talk to. Mm -hmm. Actually, you know, I I mean I've I've got them on the list. I do rotate between national and international stories, but you know, I will have them on the list for for the future. But in terms of you, if I were to say that you are a longtime activist and you're currently affiliated with, what would be the group that you are? Because there are so many that you listed. Rocky, Which, Rocky Mountain Peace and Justice Center. I was one of the founders. The group was created in 1983, and uh, and I that's the group I work with. Okay, that I'm, was. I'm also in one of the uh, the group called. Uh, the Rocky Flats Technical Group. I happen to belong to that group too. Okay. Well, that gives me the information. Um, this right now is scheduled for this Tuesday, pending if anything monstrous happens in the news cycle. Um, you know, if anything, there are a couple of major uh, nuclear stories coming out of Japan right now because when they had their typhoon one of the uh, reactors had to go on backup power for 10 hours. They're now talking about restarting some of the others. So that might bump you, but you're definitely in the queue, and I will let you know and send you a link when the show is actually up. As I said, okay. right now it's planned for next Tuesday, which will probably post about Wednesday morning. Okay. 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 Thank you Good. very much, Leroy. Yeah, it was wonderful to talk to you. It was great being able to talk with you, too. Be well. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.